0: Catastrophe. May oh God. You know, I did not grow up eating mango. Uh I really have not had much of it in my life. No, I I feel like it's a fruit that leaves something to be desired. Yeah. Well, I really because like I I don't love mango. <laughs> I was blown away by it today. Oh I like it in a <laughs> smoothie. Yeah. But I was like, I want to put make this like a mango-based cocktail, and so I did all the things, and then I looked up a video on like how to do like that beautiful like mango flower where it's like in the chunks and it's like coming up. The mango was I think too small, so the chunk I got was so small. So then I'm doing it, and then it keeps falling in the cocktail, and there's sticky mango juice all over me. Um, But I did it, guys. So just know that the. Mango in the picture of the cocktail has been manhandled to death. Yeah, don't eat it. Mango handled to death. <laughs> Do not eat uh, Yeah, don't eat the that one that I touched. <laughs> it's been womanhandled. Um, We're okay. here to talk about mango We yet. aren't. We aren't. <laughs> We're here to talk about history On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and
1: bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance.
0: But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. Time And
1: we are not historians. Definitely not. No. <laughs> um, we just spoke with a historian, so I know how oh, much yeah. of a historian I am not. We just interviewed a historian, and she's very intelligent. Yeah. Um, next time we talk to you guys, this is coming out Thursday morning. You're going to listen, and then you're going to be live with us on Friday night. Woo. It's going to be so fun, but also we're not recording next week. Maybe we'll record our live show and just put that out. Oh, we so could. following week, yeah. whatever. We're f- several weeks from the end of the season, but this is our last, like a first new episode. Then mm-hmm. we're going to take a one-week break and then finish up the season because we really want to focus on the live show that you're all yeah. going to attend. And even if you're just listening to this just now, you can you still attend. have time. Attend. You have time. There's a registration link on all of our socials. You can email us for it. It's free. It's going to be so fun. We're going to drink. We have some special guests. A joy. It's going to be a great time. The whole thing will be a joy.
0: (laughs) Um, So, yeah, we're looking forward to that. Uh, But before we do anything, we know that you're busy because you're preparing yourself mentally, physically, emotionally for the live show So as you should, as you should be, (laughs) maybe you're taking a total computer Google break, right? You've downloaded this episode, but you're not allowed, allowing yourself to ingest any other social media before the live show, right? Cause you're preparing your zoom look exactly. (laughs) Um, So you are not going to be able to look up what these women look like. No. (laughs) Um, So we're going to describe them for you. we're going to get a little physical, physical. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did you hear that I did. that is crazy I did that okay. was... um all right Allie who's your person and what does she look like I'm doing Daisy Bates mm. who is like a very
1: like classically thin very classic looking <laughs> black woman from the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. she has this oval face and a very like ethereal look to her mm-hmm. um her neck is very long and thin like she could have been a ballerina her hair is very short but always done her clothes look so put together it looks like she's wearing the movie version of her you know what i mean <laughs> yeah you know how like in hidden yeah. figures they make katherine johnson look like a like her clothes are all Dior. Mm-hmm. You're like, come now. Yeah. That's how she looks, but all the time. Like Daisy Bates has really good yeah. style. Um she's so put together. Um and she's just really lovely. I just like looking at pictures of her. Okay. If you haven't seen one recently Stop preparing your zoom yeah. look and look at up. Cause she's so, so pretty. Break your internet fast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Who are you doing? And what does she look like? All right. I am doing Sarojini Naidu. Right. Sarojini was an Indian woman, most often pictured in middle age. She has a round face, thick, dark eyebrows, and large eyes with, um, all like downward sloping features. Um, like the John Harbaugh eyes. Oh yeah. Tigger. <laughs> mm-hmm. One might say Tigger eyes. Um, her long dark hair which grew salt and pepper over time was always parted in the middle and kind of tied back into a low um i'm guessing braid or ponytail i don't know i didn't see her from the back but right. <laughs> um and she typically wore saris and adorned her forehead with a bindie. bindi yeah. and maybe just maybe she is in the back of some famous photographs yeah. uh, that were taken during this time period <laughs> that you didn't really she was in yeah <laughs> i
1: picture her i always picture her with a bindi and like a
0: ish. Sorry, maybe in my head. Honestly, most of the pictures are black black and white. white. Maybe I
1: picture it yellow for another reason, but that's how I picture her just, yeah, in general. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Okay. So this drink. (laughs) This nightmare of
0: a drink. The mango Um, was a nightmare. Not the the drink.
1: Yeah, so everybody gets a real image. It looks like a glass of apple cider. Yeah, it does. in a coupe glass. Mm-hmm. So
0: I'm going to be really disappointed when I don't taste yep, apple. It's not going to be apple. <laughs> um, so this is called the nightingale. Oh, it cute. is. I know. It it's sweet. an ounce and a half of rum, an ounce and a half of mango juice. I just used like the naked mango juice, um, lime juice, vanilla extract, and you top the whole thing off with ginger beer and garnish with fresh mango. Cheers. Cheers. oh it is really good mm. that's pretty good i can't believe we both have ginger beer tonight i know We're such we haven't idiots. used it in forever i know and now, now we, we both the did it i don't Ridiculous. know we, it's dumb that's okay because now miss krista and mr krista can just buy one bottle of ginger beer of ginger beer and use it it's for perfect. both cocktails right
1: <laughs> as they drink along with us friday yes. night <laughs> as well
0: okay um so what do i know Yeah, what do you know about Sirajani Naidu? I know
1: she's from India, Mm -hmm. and I think she was a politician. Okay,
0: perfect. That's all I know.
1: (laughs) I don't know anything about her. I don't know this fun fact. I don't know this picture you're referring to. (laughs) Um, I do know what she looks like. Yeah. I've seen Mm -hmm. pictures. Usually I Google the person ahead of time. Yeah. Sometimes I don't.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So I got a lot of this from uh, this great podcast, Footnoting History. Uh So some of the more personal things about her writings I got from that show, I feel like Everyone else just kind of did bullet points is pretty much what I'm going to do. Just a fair warning. Um, uh, That podcast really got into um, some of the more nuanced parts of her stories, which I really appreciate. Um, And other than that, I got it from Wikipedia and (laughs) culturalindia.net. I'm glad that exists. Yep. Uh, And I wish there was more on her because it seems like the biggest thing that she's known for, I couldn't find any information about. Hmm. So, kind of weird, but... Anyways, Sarojini Naidu was born in Hyderabad, which is where I studied abroad. You've which is very there. exciting. I spent a lot of Six time of in Hyderabad. of your life. Hey Tess. Um, hey Mora. Hello. How are you? <laughs> she was born in, on February thirteenth, eighteen seventy-nine. Her father, Dr. Agor... 1879. 1879. How is she in a mm-hmm. photograph? Get her away. <laughs> her father, Dr. Agoranath uh, Chattopati, was a scientist, a philosopher, and an educator um, who went to school in Ed- Edinburgh, Scotland. And he eventually founded the Nizam College of Hyderabad and became its first principal. Have you seen that place who the fuck knows? I looked <laughs> up a picture of it, and I was like, I, I didn't recognize it immediately. So I was like, probably not. I don't remember. <laughs> um, and her mother, Varada Sundari Devi, was a Bengali poet and singer. Sarajani was the eldest of eight siblings, and her family was a very well-respected si- um, respected family in the city of Hyderabad. From a young age, it was clear that Sarajani was a very bright and intelligent child. She was proficient in multiple languages, including English, Bengali, Urdu, Telugu, and Persian. Whoa. So Telugu is the language that is spoken locally. So if, you know, we've covered it kind of before. In Hyderabad? Like, mm-hmm. Okay. And that's why, like, some people will, will refer to this area of Uttar Pradesh as, like, Telangana because that's the language that's spoken there oh interesting so yeah so that's like the hard thing to understand about india is like the different parts of it are so fucking different from yeah there's regional lots of regional languages to Mm -hmm. my understanding exactly so like most everybody speaks hindi and their local language and then urdu is like the islamic language Mm -hmm. and then they'll speak english so like most people in India are like quadlingual. This it's is insane. This is what
1: I always get so shocked about. That yeah. like the amount of brain energy that it must take to be have that many languages going on. Like we, I'm so lazy. I'm such a lazy little bitch. I, know. I
0: can't. I'm like I made it a year on Duolingo. Like <laughs> I know how to say dog. <laughs> I did try and communicate with some of the, um, the Spanish speaking tenants the other day. I tried to explain them what I was doing and I totally but you tried that's what's important that's
1: what's important I tried tried. (laughs) I try to talk to my students and they'll be like that's not how you say it Mm -hmm. or like because on Duolingo we're learning Spanish Spanish right not Central South American Spanish which is different it's a little bit like it's regional Mm -hmm. but Anyway, not about anyway, that. It's not this about is that. about Hindi and
0: um, <laughs> other so languages. Surajani is very, very intelligent. She even passed her matriculation exam. So this is the one that you take to qualify for university. So kind of like their SATs. Um, she passed in 1891 when she was 12 years old and received the highest grade of anyone that took it like during that time. Oh shoot! <laughs> so she started at the University of Madras when she was just 12 years old. Her father wanted her to pursue math or science, but Sarojini took after her mother, and during her teen years, she started writing long, epic poems in various languages. Once she wrote an, uh, a poem in English that was called Lady of the Lake, it was 1,300 lines long, <laughs> then she started to write plays, and her father started to distribute her plays among the Hyderabad elite and soon one of them made it all the way to the Nizam of Hyderabad so he's like the monarch figure like the nizams ruled for like a very long time in the city oh mm-hmm. um and so he gave or somehow her play made it to the nizam and he was so impressed with this young woman's intelligence that he gave her a scholarship to study in england i mean like women are not being <laughs> broadly educated at this time so like for her as a young like 16 year old to be sent away to england to study is incredible
1: it's it's very very interesting yeah and i mean of course supportive father supportive community but then to be accepted in a very white patriarchal society mm-hmm. to study there is even more shocking yeah. and part of it might even be like part of it might being different, might've actually worked for her in this situation of like, Oh, that's just their culture. They let their women do that. Almost like it makes you lesser than like our women are above it. You know, they are blah, (laughs) blah,
0: blah. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just, I'm
1: imagining myself as a British white man. And that is would have been my thinking in the 1800s.
0: (laughs) So 16 year old, uh, Sirajani was sent to King's college in London. And then later she went to Girton college at Cambridge and there she had the opportunity to meet promish, prominent English authors like Arthur Simon and Edmund Gauss. Who? You know him. Who? <laughs> I don't know them. They're, they're on a Wikipedia page. I was like, sure. Wait, did you say Charles Dickens? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> um, and they inspired her to write themes relevant to India. They advised her to be a genuine Indian poet of Deccan, not a clever machine-made imitator of the English classics. Which, Who like, are all these men? I can't tell how to, how to take that because it kind of seems like at first she was kind of like, she liked to write all of her poems in English. And so she's writing these poems in English. And I think when she got to England, from what I understand, she was like really inspired by like the English countryside because it was so different from her central Indian home. And so she's kind of writing about well, South Central Indian home, but you know, I think she was kind of inspired by that, so she started writing these poems about that. And they're like, "Yeah, but like, I think that you should write poems about India." And she was like, "Oh, okay." Like, I don't know. I can't tell if they were like pigeonholing her, yeah, or like, if they were just like, "Don't try to change who you are
1: for us." No,
0: I can't tell how to take well, it. So, if anyone has any insight, any actual for now, I'll give them a little um, bit of the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, but, like because they were super you, supportive of her. Do what you do. Well, and I'm also, like, I would love to take it in the way of, like, obviously this is a time where, like, Orientalism is rampant, you know, Mm -hmm. and people are writing these, like, very fetishized, exotic works about, you know, India and, you know, Eastern Eastern Asia Asia and, like, all these places. So I'm also wondering if they're, like, hey, like, you're actually from there. Like, maybe add to the literature, like – something from you means more because right. like it is your home. Right. Like correct the like misinformation. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I'd love to take it in that way. So
1: <laughs> listen, there are people who are way woker than me than that lived back then. So yeah. I'm just going <laughs> to pretend that that's what they were doing. Yeah,
0: sure. So this led to her, this led her to seek inspiration from India's natural beauty, religious pluralism, and the essence of the country's social milieu. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was also here in London that she met a man named Muchala Govindarajulu Naidu. He was a South Indian physician, and the two of them fell in love. When Sarojini finished school, she went home to Hyderabad with Muchala to get married. But there was one big problem. Sarojini's family was of the Brahmin caste, the highest caste. Uh-oh, was she? Muchala's family was not.
1: <laughs> I don't when know. did the caste system get outlawed? I can't remember the year because even though it doesn't
0: really matter because even once it was outlawed, it was still like socially Socially. enforced. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was not at this time though, because we're going to get to that. Okay. So the man that she loves is a lower caste. I thought he was the highest caste. No, she's the highest. She's She's of a Brahmin family. And he's of one of the lower castes. Yes. I don't know which one, but yeah, but he is of a lower caste. Um, Thankfully, neither family was concerned about this. So they approved the marriage immediately. But the town was definitely talking. People were saying that the union was, quote, groundbreaking and scandalous. Oh, my gosh. So marriage between castes had only been legal since 1872, just a few years before Sirajani was born. Whoa. And even so, this act only permitted marriage if both parties declared themselves to not be Hindu. Which is, like, kind of fucked
1: up. So they had to forsake their religion...
0: I mean, married. I just, the caste system is so tied to religion and they, government. I like, I understand it, yeah. but it's like, ugh. Yeah. So they did, and they married in 1898. And I am proud to say that they said fuck off to the naysayers and they had a very happy and successful marriage and they had like four or five kids together.
1: (laughs) That's so good.
0: (laughs) She also had a very successful writing career. Her first book of poems was published in London in 1905 and it was titled The Golden Threshold, uh, which is also why I kind of wanted the cocktail to be like yellow and warm and golden. Um. This book even included a sketch of her as a teenager in a ruffled white dress, and it was drawn by John Butler Yates, which isn't William Butler Yates the famous one? Yeah. So I guess I don't know who John Butler Yates is. Then. I mean, I'm sure he's his brother. <laughs> Maybe brother, <laughs> father, son. Who knows? Was I was like, oh, I'm sure it's the famous Yates. And then I was like, wait a mm. second. I think his name is William.
1: Well, OK, but also National Treasure threw me off by making their Nick Cage's last name Yates.
0: Oh, so maybe it's Nicolas Cage. It isn't.
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe Nicolas Cage National Treasurer.
0: Maybe. <laughs> so anyways, um, it this book of poetry was widely praised, uh, but sometimes the praise itself felt <laughs> a little Orientalist in its nature. Mm. One person described her poetry um, as basically some kind of Eastern magic trained by Western scholars. She's mm. <laughs> also kind of like, okay, buddy, like – we don't have to be putting this into terms of like, wow, it's like she's so good that like it's mystical. Like, mm. I guess just be like good at poetry. I don't know. Did people from Southern Asia suffer from
1: Ori- Orientalism as much as like people from Japan, China, the Koreas? Like, yeah. I see. I just, I didn't know that. I think, I think
0: especially because it was this like British occupied territory, oh, you right. know? Yes. I didn't you even have think a of lot that. of people exploring over there. And I think, you know. Yeah, it okay. definitely did. That's just a gap in my knowledge. I just didn't know that mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's where you kind of get like, oh, I was down in India and I was fighting the tigers, oh, you know, and okay. like, and these women were throwing themselves at me and it's like, mm. okay. You oh, know, and, and that's I can see <laughs> too,
1: like, I can think about movies with like the very sexy, like, saris uh-huh. and like from like
0: back in the you know, early 19. Okay. So I think it's a lot of that. And I also think that that's why we don't see India as a very nuanced as, as the nuanced place that it is because of Orientalism and because they have been like the idea of India has been dispersed to the world as like, it's all the same. Yeah. You know, and it's mm. all the Taj Mahal.
1: Right. <laughs> and I mean, in terms of population, it's the world's largest
0: democracy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, so it's a huge place. Yeah, There's A lot of people that <laughs> are, have very different concerns right, from right, one right, another. Right. right. <laughs> Um, so Sarojini is a young married lady in India, but she is also a badass linguistic genius. So since her poems are getting a lot of attention, people start to ask uh, her to perform speeches for more political causes. So her first big passion is the cause of Indian independence. Obviously, India had been a British territory since about 1857, but things had been getting worse since they attempted to hold on to that power by various means. And one of these means was by dividing territories by religion. So in 1905, they partitioned Bengal and made one side Muslim and the other side Hindu. And both saw... Um, both sides saw this as kind of a divide and conquer strategy, you know, kind of like, oh, if we split them and kind of put them against, like, put them against each other, then, like, you know, it's easier to keep control over mm. them. Um So this hit Sirajani particularly hard because her family had roots in Bengal. So she started giving very moving speeches on the subject, and soon people started to ask her to speak all over the place. Her combination of wit and humor and poetry and sincerity eventually earned her the nickname the Nightingale of India. By 1906, she was addressing the Indian National Congress. Uh, Her social work for flood relief earned her a medal in 1911, Which she later returned in protest in 1919 over some massacre, which is terrible. Mm. (laughs) And by 1914, she had met and started working with Mahatma Gandhi. So this is like the famous picture that she's in the back of. Like it's him during the salt marches. And she's (laughs) right next to him. (laughs) You know, it's like these pictures that like most people have seen of him. And she's right there. Like it's pretty cool. Uh, The two of them got along very well, and she said they had a relationship of respect and humor. She would later call him Mickey Mouse affectionately and (laughs) joke that it kept a lot of money to keep Gandhi poor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. She just loved giving him shit good i am obsessed
1: with somebody needs to be like that with people who are so self-righteous i'm like i'm a big guardian supporter but it's like
0: come on (laughs) in fact when they first met apparently he was eating this like super messy meal of like squash and tomatoes in like this wooden beggars bowl and she just started laughing at him because she was like you look like a child and he was like what the fuck who is laughing at me i'm motherfucking gandhi (laughs) and he he quickly identified serogeny. and he was like okay well why don't you come and eat with me and she goes no that food looks disgusting i'm not interested sorry okay i like you (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that's the kind of um relationship they had they worked really well together um and soon she was traveling all over india and delivering speeches of Uh, on welfare of youth, dignity of labor, women's emancipation, and nationalism. She also spoke very passionately and wrote gorgeous poems about the things that made India so wonderful, which was its diversity. You know, some people want their country to be filled with people that only act and think and look like them, but Sirajani would often write or speak about how special it was that languages, ethnic groups, and religions could all coexist within this one country and at this point in history you know they have the same goal of fighting American imperialism (laughs) that too somewhere else but this time British imperialism (laughs) Um, but you know I think she part of her poetry is just reflecting the beauty of like yeah we're all different and like we are in this fight together because like we don't want to be under British rule anymore (laughs) would you say um,
1: we're all in (laughs) this together Together. exactly Okay. wanted to know
0: (laughs) sometimes she got pushback. people would ask her why would you give up this lovely life as a poet just to talk about politics and get involved in this terrible battle and she would say I think it's the poet's destiny and I think it's my personal destiny because the possibility of India's freedom lay before us all and it, it needs to be fought for and that means that me a weak woman is coming out of my home me a dreamer of dreams have has come into the marketplace and said go forth my comrades into victory so basically like look (laughs) I don't care that it's maybe putting me in a bad position i it's a dangerous position it's hard work like it's worth it because this is fucking important In 1917, she helped found the Women's India Association with Annie Besant and other prominent leaders. She also presented to Congress the need to involve more women in the freedom struggle. uh, And her and Annie fought for universal suffrage. Because that is one thing I do I have heard about Gandhi is that he was not always super keen on letting the women in. Uh, To his shenanigans. What men are! Um, In March 1919, the British government passed the Rowlett Act, by which the possession of seditious seditious documents was deemed illegal, and the British government could arrest anyone they suspected of terrorist activities. So Gandhi immediately organized the non-cooperation movement to protest this, and Sirajni was the first to join it. Their dedication to Indian independence and nonviolent protesting put them under constant threat of retaliation from the British government because it was now seen as terrorism to be against the British government. Right to be an activist, mm-hmm. but that wasn't stopping Sarojini. And in 1925, she became the first woman elected as president of the Indian National Congress. Woo! Woo! Then in 1927, she was a founding member of the All India Women's Conference, and in 1928, she even went abroad to the U.S., which is got to be complicated in 1928 to get yeah. to, from India to the U.S. Um, to try and convince the U.S. to back them up. She basically told them, "Like, hey, you guys fought for British uh, for British independence and won, so you know exactly." how we feel right now Mm -hmm. like you already did this yeah (laughs) people in the 1920s are like I don't care we practically are British (laughs) (laughs) and you can actually see a video of her addressing Americans on YouTube which is pretty cool and she makes her plea she said from an ancient country to the youngest in the world like I am asking you to help us like in this cause that everyone should care about Um, But the thing I love most about the trip is she also wasn't afraid to mention when she thought the U.S. was still in the wrong. Um, She really didn't like the treatment of black Americans, who she referred to as the yet disinherited children of America. And at some point during her trip, she was invited to a dinner in New York as a special guest of the World Alliance of Peace. And rather than being sweet and polite and quiet, at some point she stood up during the dinner and said, where among the flags of all the member states of the group, where is the flag of India? And how could there be honest and productive conversations about world peace when approximately one-fifth of the world's population is still under imperial subjection? So she's like... Thank you for inviting me to dinner, but also this is bullshit because, like, you're (laughs) actually not for peace if you're not for peace for everybody. Honestly. (laughs) Uh, Terrifying. I could never do that. No. The confrontation (laughs) avoidance that I have is way too strong. Yeah. No way. In 1930, Gandhi organized the infamous Salt March, which was a 24-day march protesting the British salt monopoly. He originally did not want women to join the march because he thought it'd be too physically taxing and the risk of arrest was too high. But Sirajani and other women of the movement were like, absolutely not. And they joined anyway. (laughs) And when Gandhi was arrested, he appointed Sirajani as the leader in his place. But it wasn't long before she started spending some time in the slammer as well. (laughs) Sirajani was arrested in 1930, 1932, and 1942. (laughs) Her 1942 arrest would keep her in jail for 21 months. It's a pretty long sentence. (laughs) That really is long. (laughs) (laughs) Practically two years. Yeah. India, of course, finally gained their independence from Great Britain in 1947. And it was also that year uh, that Surajani became the first woman elected as a governor in India. She became the governor of the United Provinces, which is now modern-day Uttar Pradesh, But she only held the position for two years until her untimely death in 1949 at the age of 70 from cardiac arrest. I did not see that coming. I know. Stop it. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's like she's known as the first female governor in India. And then she only has the position for two years until she dies. It's so upsetting. Um, But honestly, though, what a way to enter like India's independence. You know what I'm saying? It's like they get independent and they immediately start electing women to offices mm-hmm. of power. Oh yeah. Which I really fucking love because we've been independent for a while and we haven't done that yet. About two fifty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um <laughs> her death was mourned across India and they have memorialized her in lovely ways. Her birthday, February thirteenth, is women's day in India. Asteroid 5647 was discovered by Eleanor Helen at the Palmar Observatory in 1990, and it was named Sirajani Naidu in her memory. She is also memorialized in the Golden Threshold, an off-campus annex of University of Hyderabad, named for her first collection of poetry. And the Golden Threshold now houses the Sirajani Naidu School of Arts and Communication in the university. Of Hyderabad, which I have been to that building. <laughs> I looked up pics. I was like, I must remember something that I've seen of her. You know, one of these things. And yes, I have been to the Sirajani Naidu building because it was very far away from where. <laughs> <laughs> where you were supposed to be where uh the um like the international housing was mm. the Tagore house and um so I do remember going there because I was like maybe I'll take a communications class and then they're like you're going to have to produce an entire like radio program and broadcast it to the university and I said no thank you don't which I don't even think that ever happened honestly so I did not take that class I <laughs> never went back to that building um <laughs> but I have been in it but always considered herself a wanderer. So to end her story, I will read one of her poems called Wandering Singers. Where the voice of the wind calls our wandering feet Through echoing forest and echoing street With lutes in our hands ever singing we roam All the men are our kindred, the world is our home Our lays are of cities whose luster is shed The laughter and beauty of women long dead the sword of old battles, the crown of old kings, and happy and simple and sorrowful things. What hope shall we gather? What dream shall we sow? Where the wind calls our wandering footsteps we go. No love bids us tarry, no joy bids us wait. The voice of the wind is the voice of our fate. Mm. I've got to say, for being written in like the early 1900s, her poetry is beautiful that was very good and That's I, th- very good. I think it also helps that like she wrote it in english mm-hmm. so it's not like this is like a rough translation from another language like she understood the english language so well that she could write these gorgeous poems and like i read a lot of them actually and like a lot of them are just really beautiful like there's also one about like nights in hyderabad and it was like really pretty because it mentions like the um the big tourist destinations in Hyderabad, which is really cool. Again, like if you have been there and it feels like, oh my gosh, I know those places. Like- <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I think too, it's really nice when like a poem is um, read in its original language just because, like, like syllable wise it makes sense because poem is
0: poems are supposed to flow exactly um so it's just nice when it's in the language it, that was intended yeah and uh, she also writes really pretty poems to like her kids and like Aww. to india and like look at her honestly it's it's very approachable poetry i will say mm. which is nice because sometimes it's like whew, right over my head oh yeah um <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's it that's the wow. story let's go learn that's some more about it.
1: another woman like that yay <laughs> We have returned
0: back with another ginger beer
1: cocktail. (laughs) I know. And mine's kind of like red, white, and bluey. Like the layers I knew wouldn't stay layered. But yeah, yeah, so it is. Do you want to know what it is? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, it's called the whole system.
0: Okay. (laughs) And
1: it is blue raspberry vodka, Mm. which is weird. Mm -hmm. And then grapefruit juice and then ginger beer. Uh, Delightful. Yeah. And then like a little lemon twirl.
0: Mm. That is so nice. Isn't it delightful? Oh my gosh. It's like a little floral, but not too much. mm mm-hmm. It's sweet. Blue it raspberry is kind of like yeah. a slushy, but then the yeah. grapefruit
1: juice cuts it. Mm.
0: mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Wonderful. It does kind of taste like a melted slushy a little uh-huh. bit. That's delicious. I love it. It's great.
1: Okay. What do you know about Daisy Bates?
0: <laughs> I know that she was a you said civil rights leader. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah, and she had a nice sense of style. So that's yeah, that's literally all I know. <laughs> okay, good. All right, so we're
1: gonna learn about Daisy. Good old Daisy Bates. I am shocked. There's not more about her. I think that there needs to be. Oh yeah. Um, oh,
0: yeah. isn't she, she is beautiful? So beautiful.
1: Oh I know. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I got this research from the National Women's History Museum. I read uh, or i tried to watch a documentary about her that pbs put out a little bit ago but i just it was only in like segments and i couldn't find the whole thing so it's like the whole vibe was thrown off when oh. you're trying to watch little segments but i did watch as much as i can okay she wrote a very famous memoir people have written biographies about her and i just read tidbits quotes from it yeah. here and there mm-hmm. so
0: we can't read a whole book no. and- <laughs> <laughs> especially right now it's like no. we're so busy in and a this, week. And this is not saying that, like, we don't respect these women enough to read their biographies. Eventually, yes, but yeah. <laughs> in a week? Yeah. No, no, no. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Can't.
1: Okay. So, Daisy Lee Gatson was born November 11th, 1914, in a small sawmill town. Her dad was Hezekiah Gatson, and he worked in a local mill. And her mom was Millie Riley. But unfortunately, her mom was murdered when I mean, Daisy was an infant. No. Ma- Daisy doesn't know her mom. And um, she was given to close friends, like a foster home, to be raised. Oh, my God. The people who raised her were Orly Smith, a World War I veteran, and his wife, Susie Smith. Daisy never saw her dad again.
0: Oh, my God. He just bailed. <gasps> That's awful. <laughs> yeah. Already, I'm shocked by this story. I know. Poor
1: Daisy. <laughs> Um, she later recounted learning when she was about eight years old that her mother had been raped and murdered by three local white men and her body had been found in a mill pond. Learning this Daisy's childhood anger about injustice, um, just skyrocketed. And it was even worse because the killers were never found. And based on accounts from her, um, foster father, her, which she calls mom and dad, the police had shown very little interest in the case to begin with. Um, because remember, she's born in 1914. So this is the World War One era, very, very racist yeah. America.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's still happening today. Yes. We're like...
1: <laughs> right. Like, less attention is paid, yeah. for sure, mm-hmm. to people of color who have been murdered. Mm-hmm. She wanted vengeance, she recalls, as a child, like, making it a secret goal to track these men down and punish them for what they'd done to her mother. So, in short, she was forced to confront racism at a really early age. She was a little kid, and that marks you. And I think about that a lot in terms of, like, when I tell my girls certain things that they have to do as women,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't think you know, boys don't have those same warnings. Boys have different warnings, but it's like she has a childhood warning that you have to do X, Y, Z. Yep. And that's really hard.
0: That is really hard. And just like grappling with these issues that are so big and horrible at such a young age, like, because it probably took up her entire childhood. Well, and also like you want to know about your birth parents if you're with a foster family.
1: And to find that out makes you feel like these people – Didn't deserve to die. Like, I should be with my parents' parents. Right. So. And someone took that away from me. Because they're fucked up. Yeah. Like. Apparently, before this time, Daisy had been friends with a little white girl in the neighborhood named Beatrice. And they shared candy and got along well. But Daisy really grew to hate injustice and the perpetrators of it, even if they were bystanders. She really struggled as a kid. She eventually did identify one of her mother's killers at a commissary. Apparently, he would go and drink there often and would, like, talk about it or brag about it. So Daisy would go there and sit and, like, belittle him and stare daggers at him. And eventually, he said, in the name of God, please leave me alone. Um, And he drank himself to death and was Good. found in an alleyway. Yeah, fuck him. Yeah, oh terrible. My God. But I just, like, her just, like innate hatred was against racism and obviously it's because of these men and Mm -hmm. then she's also taking it out just innately on like the i hate the fact that the system is so against me
0: that's a lot of rage to grow up with it is you know it is it's a rage is so powerful and obviously it affected her entire life oh
1: yeah Um, Her adopted father did give her some advice and um, as he saw her hatred grow, he said, and this is a quote, you're filled with hatred. Hate can destroy you, Daisy. Don't hate white people just because they're white. If you hate, make it count for something. Hate the humiliations you're living under in the South. Hate the discrimination that eats away at the South. Hate the discrimination that eats away at the soul of every black man and woman. Hate the insults hurled at us by white scum. And then try to do something about it or your hate won't spell a thing.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's, okay, that's, Orly. That's really powerful. Calm oh down.
1: <laughs> that yeah. I mean, that's exactly what she needed to hear. Is like, yes, you can yeah. hate the system, but don't hate the individual people. And then figure it out as you go. Do something about
0: it. Yeah. I also think that make your hate count for something is... That's a very important statement. Mm-hmm. Because I I have a lot of personal like anger issues that I'm <laughs> trying to tame right now. <laughs> um, and I just feel like that uncontrollable emotion is so hard to like rein in. Yeah. Especially when it's something so personal. Mm-hmm. Like I get mad at things that are not personal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she has such a right to be mad at yeah. the world right now. And
1: the world is like being just so unjust to her. And as a kid, I just know my students, number one thing they always say is that's not fair.
0: Yeah. And yeah. I'm just like,
1: I, I hate to be like, life isn't fair, but like it's fucking not. life's yeah, not fair. Not. Yeah. <laughs> like there's not a fair thing in this world. She says she never forgot that, and it changed much of her feelings towards hate. She did attend segregated public schools in Arkansas, where she learned firsthand about the poor conditions that black students had in their school buildings. Her adopted father, Orly Smith, died when she was a teenager, leaving her with an adopted mother. She loved her father so, so much. She had just such... Adulation for him. He uh, spoke with her like she was an adult, which I think kids really appreciate and love. In contrast to that, her mother was very strict, and their relationship was never close. Her mm. mom expected a lot, and then also was giving her the "We're living in the South as Black people; there are rules and precautions that you need to follow
0: to keep yeah to keep her safe." safe. Like, I understand. Yeah. yeah, it's to such a safe. hard thing. It's like I know it's a fucked up rule, but yeah. Like <laughs> you have to do this. God. keep your mouth shut but it sucks too because even if you don't follow the, like her mother probably followed us right. and still got fucking murdered exactly like, it sucks
1: so it just it caused a strained relationship yeah. and i think that's where we get a lot of the um you know angry black woman like stereotypes where it's just like i need to in- get my children to follow these rules yeah because if they don't they will die mm-hmm. And that's not something I have to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if they don't, they might trip down the stairs. Right. <laughs> and like break a bone at worst. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hard. Daisy was 17 when she started dating a guy named Lucius Bates. They had met when she was 15 and he was married at the time. Oh. But he divorced. Okay. Um, and then they started dating. The two married in on march 4th 1942 and she says that she married him because he was so much like her father sweet before they married though the couple moved to little rock and decided to act on a dream of theirs to open a newspaper they leased a printing plant from a church and started the inaugural issue of the arkansas state press, which some sources called it the Arkansas Weekly, but I mostly saw the Arkansas State Press. Okay. The first issue came out May 9th, 1941, which is almost a full year before they got married. Yeah. They're working in this endeavor together. The paper was primarily focused on advocacy for the civil rights movement, much like the Chicago Defender that uh-huh. Ida B Wells was working mm-hmm. on. The I think, right? I think I that think was her so. story. We've talked about the Defender, but I can't yeah. remember what story. I think Ida B Wells. This paper Also highlighted great achievements of black residents of Arkansas. So they're just like pumping people up. Um, It became a staple in the community and actually got nationally recognized. Daisy was both the editor and regularly contributed articles. Wow! So she's a journalist and an editor. And then, in 1954, something happened that was going to change the face of America. The Supreme Court decided on Brown v. Board of Education, and it made all segregation in schools illegal. But the South would not comply. Rather, they stuck to the Jim Crow and separate but equal laws. And this is illegal. It's illegal to go against when the Supreme court decides that something is constitutionally not okay, Mm -hmm. but the South did it anyway. Um, and the only way to fix that is getting something else to go to court and appeal, 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 get somebody arrested, this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. So there's some action needed. Daisy fought this in her newspaper and was a fervent supporter of the NAACP's integration of public school Mm -hmm. events. She's constantly publishing about them, constantly going to them The paper adopted an attitude of immediate action for white and black readers alike. And they talked about everything the NAACP is doing. However, the white governor refused action and wouldn't even consent to quote what was called at the time token desegregation. Like take one or two kids, put it in the newspaper, and then you can have your little school fine. And we just have one classroom with black kids. He wouldn't even do that. He's just like a terrible, terrible man. And then all the white advertisers started withdrawing funds from the paper. They start boycotting her paper. And before that, they had given her some money. So all that's left is the NAACP's funding. And it's not enough. And the paper's going to have to fold. Yeah. When she was interviewed... About her activism, they said, what are you focused on? And she said, the whole darned system, all of it. I'm going for everything. But after Brown v. Board, she really focused on education because I think to her that was everything. Yeah. When the kids get knowledge, that's when they can surpass these bars we put around them, like make it equal. Daisy then became the president of the Arkansas conference branch of the NAACP when she was 38. She's the president of the branch of Arkansas. (laughs) She's 38 years old. Being so high up in the NAACP though, didn't do her any favors. She was singled out as an activist leader by the KKK and her house was targeted on multiple events. Twice crosses were burned in her front yard. Once it was close enough to her house that her roof was set alight and her neighbors like fortunately got it out in time. And another time it said, quote, go back to Africa, KKK, like they signed it
0: burning in her front yard. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. Oh, my God. So
1: Daisy started to conduct a plan, a phased plan. First, we're going to get juniors and seniors into high school to desegregate. They're older. They can handle it. It's a Mm -hmm. two-year process. After we do that, we can start with middle schoolers and then work our way down to elementary school. And the goal... The Little Rock School District, their goal was to be desegregated by September of 1957. That's the following year of the Supreme Court case. They're giving everybody a year to get comfortable. So Daisy began to gather and in like white students that she thought were capable of this task and their families were willing to do this and the kids were willing to do this. Daisy was pretty much chosen as a change agent. She rounded up nine black students known as the Little Rock Nine.
0: I've heard it. Okay. Uh-huh. They're now famous. things are getting Yay, They're very famous.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and they're all chosen to attend school, and Daisy would be with them every step of the way. They were to attend the Little Rock Central High School, and this provoked a fight from the governor. Of course, he calls the National Guard to prevent them from entering school, like the Arkansas National Guard, yeah. not the countrywide one. Um, once Daisy heard this, it was about to be the first day that they were going to attend. Daisy hears this, and she's like, Okay. We need to call this off for a day. I need to get these kids prepped for this because this is going to be really ugly. Like, we all know what happened with Roo- Ruby Bridges. Like, people were holding black babies in, ca- like, um,
0: coffins, coffins
1: yeah. to try to, like, intimidate this child. So she's like, okay, I've got a whole bunch of juniors and seniors in high school. I need to talk them down. Um, and We literally just
0: slack, tossed, t- t- talked last week about how Joan Baez, uh, this celebrity, had to just, like, hold kids' hands and walk them to school yeah. to protect them in any way that she could from these terrible people these terrible people and even so like in the video you can see someone tries to like run them over with a car and she's like okay <laughs> yeah and like the
1: when you look up images of the little rock nine and just the anger of the mm-hmm. white people in the background screaming at them like those people are still alive i think about that all they're still the alive time. those fuckers they're still fucking alive yeah, i hate them okay and i really do okay so <laughs> um so Daisy hears this. She shuts it down for the next day. She's like, let's get together. We're going to train. We're going to figure this out. But one of the students doesn't have a phone in their house and did not get the message. So she showed up to school alone the next day with no one to an angry mob. Oh my God. Uh, they're threatening to kill this young black girl. Her name was Elizabeth Eckford. And in 1998, Daisy still says she feels guilty about this moment. She's like, I should have been there to help this girl and I wasn't like I tried to get in contact with everybody I got to eight of them I didn't get to her I went to bed and then school happened and it just is something that weighed on her conscience for the rest of her life Damn. that she wasn't there for that one day which is I mean that's how much activism does to you I need to be there for every moment and if I'm not I'm failing it's draining it is um but also remember, Daisy's home is under attack. On good days, people are throwing rocks. On average days, people are putting bullet shells in her mailbox. You know, like it's not fun to live where she lives. After that, Daisy knew she needed a stricter plan. She planned for ministers to escort the kids into school because they could protect them physically but also coach them in their souls as they walked in and people are screaming at them. She also joined the PTA. She spoke with the Little Rock Nine's parents every day, several times a day. Um, she was just so involved with the Little Rock school system. Mm-hmm. And when... The students were in danger. Somebody stepped up to the plate. Dwight D. Eisenhower intervened by federalizing Arkansas's National Guard. He said, you know what, Arkansas, you don't have a National Guard anymore. It's a National Guard. So now you have to protect these children. And he sent in the actual National Guard. Um, And I mean, there was upheaval and Daisy's house is the drop off and pick up for these kids. She's running a before and after care. She's with these kids every day before and after school. Um, But her perseverance sent a really strong message to the community, to the nation. We will not give up. Prior... To um, the Little Rock Nine. Prior to this, the Little Rock Nine City Council instructed the police chief to arrest Daisy and other NAACP figures for a paperwork error. They had not filed all of their names as members to the NAACP, which they had changed that law. Because they, I think they wanted everybody's names and addresses that were NAACP, which is so dangerous because you're literally handing it over to the KKK at that point. Yeah. Um, but that was overturned. So she did get arrested and have to pay a fine. She surrendered voluntarily, but it got overturned by a higher court. So as these kids are going into school, as Dwight D. Eisenhower is getting involved, what we have is Martin Luther King Jr., he sends a telegram to Little Rock in 1957 regarding the Central High School events. And he urges Daisy to adhere to nonviolence. He said, quote, the world's opinion is with you. The moral conscience of millions of white Americans is with you. He's saying, don't forget that shitty ass white people, racist white people aren't everyone. Yeah, There's so many of us that support you, mm-hmm. which is really great. Um, And later, Martin Luther King Jr. would have Daisy come to speak on Women's Day at his Baptist church. So he brings her on over to talk it up. But her work was not without personal cost. As I said earlier, she lost her newspaper. And she is, like, in danger constantly in the city where she lives. So after this whole school desegregation, Daisy and her husband moved to Washington, D.C., And she gets a job working for the Democratic National Committee. Wow. She served in the administration of Lyndon B. Johnson, working in anti-poverty programs. After this time, she published her memoir. This is around the 1960s, The Long Shadow of Little Rock. In 1963, she was invited to sit on stage behind Martin Luther King Jr. while he delivered his I Have a Dream speech during the March on Washington. She did while living in Washington, D.C., suffer a stroke. This didn't kill her, but she did go home to Arkansas. Her mm-hmm. and her husband are like, okay, let's go home. We'll kind of be into old age there. She retires from like those types of Washington politics. Although mm-hmm. she was a board member of the NAACP like up through the 90s, yeah. 70s, 80s, 90s. Like mm-hmm. she's a big deal. Eventually she moves to a rural black community in Eastern Arkansas and it's like a really poor impoverished community she moves into. And then she's like, okay guys let's make this the best. And she establishes a self-help program where they build a new sewer system. They pave the streets. They make a water system, a community center. She's just like, okay, let's like rehab this entire black community. Like that's awesome. Raising (laughs) our money for ourselves and figuring it out. If the government's not going to do it, like let's just do it. In 1986, the book she wrote her memoir that came out in the 60s that it was the 60s so people didn't really care, it was reprinted with First Lady former First Lady Roosevelt wrote the introduction to the autobiography and it is the first ever reprint to get an American Book Award. Wow. So like it came out again and everybody's like, yeah. "Oh shit, we should probably <laughs> read it this time. Last time we didn't care." <sighs> the following year um so she reopens her newspaper after her husband died in 1980 she reopens her newspaper kind of have something to do she's in arkansas people kind of care about her so she reopens it but after her book had kind of gotten that award she sold the newspaper but con- continued to consult on it for a bit um and little rock opened what is the biggest tribute to her ever a daisy bates elementary school Aww. Because she just wanted schools to be desegregated. They made the third Monday in February, Daisy Bates Day, which is also George Washington's birthday, so good on you. (laughs) Like, we're just taking it. Uh, PBS did a documentary on her called Daisy Bates, the First Lady of Little Rock in 2012. The newest biography about her is called Time for a Showdown, and she was posthumously awarded a Presidential Medal of Freedom. Daisy Bates died in Little Rock, November 4th, 1999, when she was 85 years old. And that's Daisy oh Bates' gosh. story. She's Amazing. such a
0: hero, right? Yeah, such a hero. And I feel like she was just, like, there for so much that was going on and, and like-, like, doing the work behind it the you little rock saying?
1: nine is a very famous a very famous story yeah. yeah a very famous story and like i had no idea that she was involved with it i just knew she was an act i didn't even know i look at her up they're like oh she's an activist i start reading i'm like oh she's
0: a real activist yeah. <laughs> yeah. all right well i think that we need to talk about these two women in conversation with each other in a little segment we like to call just the two of us Okay. There's so much going on here. It <laughs> is it's a crazy. Lot going on. They both spoke on Women's Day <laughs> at <Yeah>. some point. <laughs> well, and they also I there was one big thing that I thought was interesting because like they were kind of a similar figure in two different uh-huh, countries and two big movements of independence and like uh-huh. social change. And they were connected by two men who were so famous. inspired by, yeah. and also like MLK was inspired by Gandhi. Like right. we know that that like Gandhi's mission of nonviolence like inspired MLK's mission of nonviolence. So like, and both of these men were assassinated, yeah. and like, but it's so crazy, the and it's parallels. wild to think that like also during their big moments, like we think of the Salt March and the March on Washington, and the March on Washington, and these women are literally right next to them, right there, right behind them, like right fucking there so involved they're just really big change makers mm-hmm. but i think that their approach to things was a little different mm-hmm. you know obviously daisy is coming into it with a lot of anger because she not has as, a right to not be as angry. strong as a family either like yeah not a wealthy like mm-hmm She's Brahmin. Like she's got yeah. the backing. Daisy doesn't have the backing. Exactly. It's why people asked Serogeny, why would you get involved in this? Like you don't have to. Yeah. For Daisy, it was almost like there wasn't another option. No choice. She was like, I don't I don't have a choice. I have to do this. Is it do and do like, or die? Serogeny was in a position where, like, she would have been totally good and fine if she had done nothing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also like their inspiration was a little bit different in that sense too, where surogeny was inspired by public events like mm. she's like i can see people being harmed in this world people close to me people affect like you know people like me whereas daisy was inspired by very private events mm-hmm. like she's like my literal family is being murdered by the racism that is infecting this country yeah like i need to do something
1: and i thought too with surogeny was so interesting to me how intelligent she was Mm -hmm. and how important education was to her and to Daisy it's important for a different reason and it's because the black kids don't have it yeah it was hi we don't have education and we need to have education Mm -hmm. and I think Sirajani had education from a young age was accepted at prestigious white universities Mm -hmm. at a young age and because of that she had a worldview that I I mean, OK, so Katie knows but my parents specifically think that college made me liberal. They will always think that. I, it's not my fault. I, I did. It did. Yeah, <laughs> but
0: they I weren't think, wrong.
1: I think it just more like opened my eyes to yeah. like that there are different people. And I think that maybe that leads to your point of like Sirajani saw what was happening to other people and thought it was wrong. Uh-huh the black kids in America didn't have a chance. They knew what was happening to them. Yeah. The white kids knew what was happening to them, but they didn't know what was happening to each other because yeah. they weren't together. Yeah. And it's not fair to any type of kid to keep
0: them separate like that. Yeah. No, it's definitely not. Um. I also thought it was interesting that the written word was actually very important in both of their oh, works. Yeah. So, Siragini is using journalism. Poetry. Poetry versus journals. And, um, and then, you know, Uh, Daisy is using journalism, starting this newspaper, and like words are so important. And I like that even though obviously Daisy is very angry about a lot of this stuff, she used her paper mainly, it seemed like, Mm -hmm. to focus on the accomplishments of black people. She's like, you know what? I am going to make this a positive publication. I am going to write about all the good shit that is happening to people in our community. So it's not so bleak and upsetting and sarajani did the same thing she's like i'm going to use my poetry to talk about how beautiful this country is Mm. how beautiful the diversity is how nice it is to look at the city of hyderabad at night you know and it's like because these two things are so overwhelmed by the systemic oppression against them that sometimes it is hard to see what the actual beauty is of it you know because I think sometimes when we talk about black people living in the heyday of like the civil rights era we only talk about it in the negative Mm -hmm. of like they were oppressed in XYZ way and it's like yes that was very true but then it's like let's also talk about the fucking amazing things that they were doing despite all of that you know and Sirajani's doing the same thing Mm. she's like Let's talk about how beautiful the bazaars of Hyderabad are. Let's talk about how beautiful the people are and like what we can offer besides just being another fucking colonial territory. Right? Kind of like taking back the things that make you more than just a victim of Mm -hmm. imperialism. And I I love that focus that both of them bring.
1: Yeah, and I've heard that a lot before too with curriculum writing. Like when people are like, like black history is American history. It's like, Mm -hmm. can we stop... Teaching slavery and saying that's black history like <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a part of it it's yeah. definitely a part of it, but there are other amazing
0: things also like why isn't that like i don't know it seems like like <laughs> that's like part of white history that we like we did that to people <laughs> right <laughs> like, i
1: just i think that, that we we are, we focus on this trauma which is a huge mm-hmm. huge trauma that we definitely don't do enough to uh correct but yeah. it it's also like there are other there are accomplishments and amazing amazing things and i think there mm-hmm. needs to be a better balance between the two and not just on black history month <laughs> but, Yes, I like that they were both in politics towards yes. the end of their lives. Like, you know, the first female governor in India versus like somebody who's working in the democratic national convention with, um, Lyndon B. Johnson, did I say? Oh yeah, because Eisenhower came to national marshals. Lyndon B. Johnson, yeah, just like okay, like I'm hiring you. There's this cute picture of her like putting the stickers of her names up on her little glass door in D.C.
0: and she's in like a little pencil skirt, and I'm like, (laughs) shut up and get out of here. You're so fucking cute. When she's like president of the NAACP branch, like Uh you know, like they were both like leaders of organizations that were kind of formed in their lifetime of like these organizations that have been long lasting now of trying to make the changes that people Mm -hmm. needed and like, you know, fucking still need, you know? And I don't know. I just, I think their lives were so parallel and just a couple decades apart, but also (laughs) not that, distant from where we are now. No, and just both such important markers
1: of like the struggle for
0: freedom. Yeah. That
1: is ongoing. Yeah.
0: And the fact that like there were women there behind the famous men who were also obviously there. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody knows we're there. You right. know? And we just kind of forget about the women of these movements that mm-hmm. you know and not that these men weren't doing work, but like, you know, these women were maybe getting a little less credit for Putting their lives in danger. I mean, Sarojini was arrested so many times. Yeah. She spent almost two years in jail. Right. Like- and I, I
1: mean, we did a person a couple of weeks ago. I, I can't remember who, but like at some point, like the men, I think were like, yeah, like the best thing for a political party is a whole bunch of board married women because like they do so <laughs> much work. They'll yeah. do flyers. They make yeah. <laughs> envelopes. They melt, yeah. and it's like all we need is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the the bored married women that can't get jobs at some they couldn't get jobs. Yeah. It's insane. I oh my God. I'm picturing Sarojini coming to the United States giving this speech about equality to a room full of people who are like, yeah, we don't like let women vote yeah. or like <laughs> we're like really not into like having yeah. people of color in this space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just it's so funny to me that she's so open I think she knew what she was getting into and she didn't fucking care
0: and I love it (laughs) good for her okay all right well I also and I oh one more thing on that do it I think she was also being like you think of us as this backwards nation and yet like I'm a leader over there I'm more free than you are I I still don't have have female leaders in this country which I also fucking love taking back all of those you know exotified you know fetishized like you know south asian women like that trope of taking it back i'm like you think that we're just like sexy concubines over there and we're fucking not like i'm a leader and i'm a change maker and like i'm literally here as like an ambassador from india basically yeah so you should also get your shit together. Yeah. So maybe elect a woman at some point. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So who would you like to toast this evening?
1: <laughs> I just want to. I want to toast people who suffered extreme loss at mm. a really young age, mm-hmm. even something they don't remember.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I know there's a lot of people in their twenties who lost somebody in 911 that they never met. You know, yeah. there are. There's a lot of people who lost people in tragedies at war. Mm-hmm. You know, in Uh, terrorist attacks and it's just uh, personal violence and i think that daisy is one of those people and just because you don't remember it i think you might feel goofy you know because maybe you didn't know that person but it doesn't mean that it doesn't uh mold your personality so uh, to people who have suffered significant
0: loss at a young age yeah cheers cheers all right I'm going to toast the women who bring a bit of poetry into our world. Poetry is something that, as I said before, often goes over my head. But sometimes I do read one that really touches me. And I think it's an important thing to to bring to social justice movements. Because I think that it's important to kind of bring that... I don't know, emotion to things that maybe is unexpected for someone. And maybe, Mm -hmm. I don't know, a poem that Sirajni wrote changed someone's mind about her cause. So cheers. Cheers. (laughs) All right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay. So obviously we all watched the Oscars, or I did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So... Before the Oscars, producer and I watched Everything Everywhere all at once because I was like, I'm not going into this without seeing it first. I knew the movie that's
0: going to win a lot of awards.
1: I knew it was going to sweep. I knew I had seen a lot of the random movies, specifically the animated ones because I have kids. Uh But I was like, I need to see this before I go into it. It is wild. I
0: really want to see it. Katie, it's wild.
1: (laughs) So, like, it's just... There's a lot of different timelines. There's a lot of different personalities. Everybody that won an award played multiple different character personalities mm-hmm. of themselves. It is chaotic. There are jokes in it that are so dumb that you're <laughs> just like, <laughs> I, you're just like, I can't believe this is Oscar worthy. But at the yeah. same time, you're like, I totally understand why this is Oscar worthy. Yeah. Yeah. But in short, it was a really beautiful story about a person's relationship with her husband, her family, and her daughter. Yeah. And once you see it, I'll go more deep into it because I'm not gonna spoil anything. But it was um it was really touching. And I I do feel bad for the people who wrote like All Quiet on the Western Front, because like that's a movie about teenage boys that are, like, dying in World War One. Like, that is traumatic, and it was probably a really good movie. <laughs> but I just don't want to watch that <laughs> because yeah. I'm going to, like, cry as people get their legs blown off, and I just yeah. don't want to see that. So this was great, and I definitely suggest it. I think you still have to purchase it. But we bought it for really cheap because okay. we didn't rent it. We bought it because we want to watch it with the girls. Yeah. Um, but we were told to watch it first. Okay. Because that, I mean, there's a somebody at some points fighting with a dildo. There's like a <laughs> lot of weird shit, but nothing that R rated. Yeah. But there's just so many twists and turns that if you have to answer questions with your to your kids while you're watching it, you'll like miss a whole section. Yeah. So great movie. Definitely. The Oscars have suggested it.
0: Well, and I would also like piggybacking off of that. Like I did not watch the Oscars, but I did watch some of the acceptance speeches for that movie. And so I, good. I was sobbing. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. It's a like, Kihoi Hoi Kwan. Mm-hmm. I, know. I he, he was just like, so genuine, genuine.
1: And like, Oh obviously God. I've loved him forever Yeah, because he was like a child. The first time I saw him on television
0: Well, and that was his whole thing was, he was like, I got famous as a kid and then nobody cast me in fucking anything. Mm-hmm. And then like, obviously he says in a speech, he goes, but I had a couple people in my life that were like, don't give up. Like you're so talented. And he didn't. And then I don't know. I like <laughs> getting emotional just thinking about it. I know It was a great speech. It um, was the, like
1: the first one of the night too. Oh, they do gosh. like, um, Best supporting male actor, like really yeah. early, so it was like, <gasps> yeah,
0: oh my gosh! And I love too that he like was talking about like his lawyer Jeff Cohen, who was on um, the kid in Goonies, and he's like my Goonies brother for life.
1: Something like, was so sweet, he's so cute. Oh my gosh! Okay, what are you loving?
0: I am loving the show Reservation Dogs. Have you heard of this? Yes. Okay, I've heard of it. I Casey' fiance husband has been kind of suggesting it for a while but I was like I don't know that sounds like so serious intense. and sad and intense. intense and I was like I have to be in the right mindset <laughs> to like get into this show and then we started watching it I did not realize that it is like a half hour like serious show but it is so funny it is so deeply funny like, there are characters in it that are out of control, okay. and I'm obsessed with them. Perfect. I just, I wasn't expecting to laugh so much. Good. And it's just, like, about these four young teens who are living on this reservation in Oklahoma, and they are saving up money to move to California, and yet some parts are, like, serious and sad, but, like, I would say 75% of it is just, like, kids being dumb fucking kids and them just being wild and like i don't know i just i love it so much more than i thought i was going to it's well, good yeah it's good, so good. <laughs> um i don't know like there are these two fucking twins that just like they're these like adult male like twins that are like rappers and they come up on these bikes all the time and they just say the funniest shit and I love it so yeah (laughs) reservation dogs it's so good also every time I say it I want to say reservoir dogs um Which they obviously do pay homage to because, like, the kids all wear suits in the first ep- or in the second episode at some point. But, anyways, but yeah, reservation dogs, it's so good. It's not as sad as you think it's going to be. Perfect. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening. Find us tomorrow, tomorrow night on Zoom. On Zoom.
1: <laughs> zoom, zoom, zoom.
0: Yes, find us there. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to have a blast. And, uh, you know, usually we say that you can find our cocktail recipes on tipsy tuesdays but now you can just drink with us on friday friday night it's gonna be so much you fun. can drink whatever you want we'll be there drinking yes so we hope to see you there we also hope to see you next week yeah for more episodes or the week after i guess of whatever. Of whatever Whenever whatever this again, is. it'll come up <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah and if you could leave us a little rate a little review on apple podcast that would be great uh but most of all just never forget that well-behaved women tried to prevent children from going to school. Yep. And they really make history. Yeah, we they're don't bad. know any of those fucking no, people. No, we hate them. <laughs> <So Okay>. Goodbye. <laughs>